welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Micah Witham. I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken, and every once in a great while, I take the opportunity to wear a hat on Sundays when I'm not preaching. So um, that's that's usually, if you see me in a ball cap or something, you'll know I'm not speaking. Our good friend Jenna is on today, so I'm excited about that. Um, and we're kicking off, uh, if you didn't know, today is the beginning of Advent. Uh, it's also the beginning of Hanukkah. Um, Advent is one of my favorite seasons in the church calendar, and uh, in part because of this series that we've been doing for, I think, maybe since the beginning of Awakens history. Uh, We call it the Advent Art Series. We had a very creative team at the beginning. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Uh, So basically, um, can't, it's hard to come back from that. Um... Essentially, Advent uh, typically has four words connected to it, hope, joy, love, and peace. And then uh, we sort of add one word uh, for Christmas Eve to really kind of listen to and tell the story of Christmas through. So um, over the next five weeks, you'll hear uh, from a couple of people in our community each week, a writer and a visual artist, who have been asked to sort of create around this theme that we'll be talking about today, which is hope. Uh, So if you would, please give a warm welcome to my friends Maddie Rode and Brianna Rossiter. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Maddie Rode, and uh, when I was asked to kind of like think about and make a piece around the idea of hope, uh, I kept coming up with all the times in my life where I felt hopeless, and it was actually kind of a struggle for me to think of hope in a sense that wasn't just the absence of hopelessness. Uh, it seemed to sort of color everything about the word for me. Uh, And just thinking about those times in my life, times where a loved one got a bad diagnosis or times when I lost a job and I didn't know what was coming next. Those were times in my life where I threw up uh, a lot of walls and I really withdrew from everything and everyone in my life that was life-giving, that wanted to love me and asked me for love in return. And I find that when I have trouble in my life, when things are going on, when I'm stressed out by what's going on, it's very easy just to sort of curl up and be alone. And it feels like reaching out to anyone in those times, it's like asking me to pour from a cup that's already empty. That reaching out and loving others and asking to be loved could be more pain, more loneliness, or more sadness. So for me, the the idea of hope is the freedom to let go of that fear and the freedom to say that this is bad now, what's happening now isn't good, but it's not always gonna be like that. And even though someday things might get bad again, but we always come through the other side of it and having that freedom to reach out without fear and say, even though I have nothing, I still need to connect with the people who love me, the things that fill me up, and ultimately that hope will get us through the bad times in life. A lot of people, when they see my art, they say it looks like something from a children's book, uh, or they always want to sort of put a narrative to it. It's sort of uh, whimsical, I guess. And uh, I find that really interesting when people tell me that, because I think about my art a lot in in the frame of a narrative. It's sort of a snapshot of what's going on in my life, or it's a snapshot of what I'm thinking about. And so for me, uh, this is a picture of what hope looks like. It's something that's comforting. It's the promise of stability. It's like a home. 
And it might not be the biggest thing or the loudest thing in my life, but it's there and it's the focal point for when I feel like I'm lost in the wilderness. Hello. Like Micah said, my name is Brianna Rossiter, um, and I'm going to be reading a poem for you today. So when I heard the word hope, the first thing that came into my head was Jeremiah 29:11. I grew up hearing this verse a lot, and it always made me think of sort of pastel colors and warm, fuzzy feelings and words that would be put on a coffee mug in sort of swirly letters. Um, and so when I went back and looked at the passage in the Bible, I was actually kind of surprised to remember that um, the Israelites at this point are being told that God has plans to prosper them and not to harm them, plans to give them a, a future and a hope. They're being told this while they're in exile. So they've been forced to leave their homes and everything behind and that they're going to have to stay there for years and that this is what God is telling them. And it, it seemed a little bit harsh to have hope in the midst of a, a difficult situation, which um, was making me think of other difficult situations that people of God have faced. And I ended up thinking about Genesis 16. So this is um, in the story of Abram and Sarai when they have not yet had a son, and Hagar is pregnant, and Sarai is jealous and is just really cruel to her, so cruel that Hagar runs off into the desert. Um, and I, re I remember hearing this passage a lot growing up as well and how God sees Hagar in the desert and he speaks to her and he sees her. And I remembered thinking, oh, that's great. Like she's seen and known. And I went back and read that passage too. And the second thing God says to Hagar is go back. Go back to this person who has been so harsh to you that you've run off into the wilderness without any food or any water. And that seemed really hard. It was a hard thing to say. And I, so I had these two kind of ideas, this hope that I feel like sometimes we expect hope to involve lots of warm, fuzzy feelings, but these hard situations that don't go away. Um, and so I did whatever, or what I do whenever I find something confusing or I don't understand, which is to write a poem about it, which I'm going to read you today. It's called Hagar. Sometimes you go to the desert to die, and God speaks, calling you back to the places you've run from. Places so crowded with ache, you flee the first chance you get without even pausing for water. In the face of such hatred, who wouldn't want to crawl beneath a tree and collapse? Even Jonah, God's own prophet, begged to be left when the Lord saved the city where wickedness lived. But what is the wilderness if not this? The place where, bereft of everything except your loyalties, you are forced to face an end where your tormentors are chosen and saved, and you are told to return to a hell so harsh you'd prefer any storm. Even here, you are not alone haunted by this God who sees, but only sometimes spares, who gives you a future instead of the emptiness you ask for. As we begin this Advent season, I'd like to invite you to consider the arrival of hope, even in really hard places.
Well, good morning, everyone. I feel kind of like my middle school self coming up with all my books. <laughs> um, I'm Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the associate pastor here at Awaken, um, and I'm teaching this morning. Uh, Danny told me I looked like a cowboy. So to any of you thinking that, maybe I am. You, that was stupid. <laughs> um, I wanted to begin with the kindest, most friendly reminder that we got organics recycling a couple weeks ago, which means all of these cups that we have go in the green bins. And if you bring in like a Starbucks cup or anything else, it goes in the trash. I'm tired of digging through the garbage, you guys. Um, so again, if you make a mistake, I'll still do it, but just maybe be mindful. And all the paper towels go into the green bins as well. So thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, uh, well, it's Advent. Uh, you can tell by the trees. And this is a season in the church calendar where we lean into waiting and remembering that God came and God will come again. And this morning, we're talking about hope. And I wanted to start with a question for you. How do you come to hope this morning? I think Brianna and Maddie pointed out really well that sometimes we think of hope like it's this thing that feels good all the time, and yet that's maybe not very honest. Because if we were honest, we would maybe name that hope comes with expectation of a certain outcome. That when we hope for a particular thing, we want it to land in our favor, right? That's when hope is fulfilled. And then if you add belief in God or the assumption that there is a divine being at work in the world that breaks through and has agency, the hope is that whatever it is we are hoping for, that it would line up with whatever the intent of God is and that God would act and bring it to fruition. But what if God doesn't act? And what if it never comes? Welcome to the vulnerability of hope. Do you want me to switch mics? Okay. Welcome to the risk of hope. Welcome to the work of it. So if you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Zechariah this morning, chapter 9. You can open there, or you can look at it on the screen. And I'd like to invite you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of the word. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, Daughter Jerusalem, see, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. 
I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son Zion against your son's Greece and make you like a warrior's sword. Pray with me. God, for eyes to see and ears to hear, for maybe the courage it takes to face the letdown of hope sometimes, maybe the courage to hold it when it's there. God, would you make us aware of how you are at work in the world this morning? In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe a strange passage in general, but especially for Advent. Uh, but that's what I chose, so you're welcome. Uh, there was something here for me, and maybe for you, a word of hope. The prophet Zechariah was ministering during a really unique and interesting time in the life of Israel. The Babylonian exile uh, had ended in 539 BCE when Cyrus uh, and the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and Cyrus issued a decree allowing the Israelites to return to their homeland, which meant that as the Israelites returned, it came with this new kind of work of rebuilding and restoring what was lost in exile. And so Zechariah, and this took the primary form of rebuilding the temple. And so Zechariah's work and ministry to them was really a word of encouragement and correction and motivation to do this work of physically rebuilding the temple, the dwelling place of God for the Israelites. But it's never just about the task. It was also an invitation to do the spiritual work as well, the work of renewal and of healing and of returning to their God. And our passage this morning, like all prophets, is sandwiched right in between words of destruction and judgment. God speaks words of protection for Israel from her enemies and words of judgment for those who have corrupted and oppressed manipulated and exploited, and right in the middle of it is this word of hope, a vision of peace that methods of war find no place in God's future, that God's representative king would come not on a war horse, but on a donkey, a baby donkey, which is kind of a weird, almost funny picture. Think of a grown man on a baby donkey, <laughs> that this king would come and bring peace to the nations, and that the people, the people would be free and restored. And there are lots of ways that we can interpret this passage. Uh, there's tension between reading it maybe metaphorically or literally, and a lot of scholars lean towards the literal sense. Uh, and, and interpret this particular passage as being fulfilled in the conquests of Alexander the Great, uh, which is interesting, and all I'm going to say about that. But this morning, the perspective that I wanted to take, or the lens that I wanted to read this passage through, is actually through the New Testament. If this passage sounded familiar to you, it's because the gospel writers use it to describe Jesus that when Jesus enters Jerusalem as he makes his uh, journey to crucifixion, this is the triumphal entry. We use this passage on Palm Sunday, which again is like, I've confused my holidays. 
don't know. And so the gospel writers are making this argument that, that Jesus, he is the one who has come as the fulfillment to this prophecy of peace. That this is God's representative. And instead of being the divine warrior that the Zechariah passage goes on to explain, this one came absorbing the violence instead of inflicting it. This one walked a road of suffering. The gospel writers declare it has come to the world, peace, through this person of Christ. Matthew 4.16, the people waiting in darkness have seen a great light. Luke 2.29, Simeon in the temple for Jesus' dedication. Now, according to your word, sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and revelation and glory to your people Israel. The one who has been promised all this time has come for us. And so rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Some scholars believe that this oracle was given in 480 BCE at the end of Zechariah's life. And so I'd maybe like to invite us to think about that. Because if we agree with the New Testament writers that this has been fulfilled in the person of Christ, give or take, I'm not a mathematician, but that's over 500 years. 500 years of waiting, of holding a promise, of holding an expectation, and it not happening. Generations of people lived and died holding just the vision, but never seeing the outcome. Generations of people held to this promise while new foreign powers took over, and where all of a sudden people leading in the temple were not from the priestly line, but instead they were representatives of those foreign powers, who didn't know the heart of God and who were making deals with money and power at the expense of the most vulnerable. And there were really bright spots that happened in those 500 years, like the Maccabean Revolt, which is where Hanukkah comes from. And yet, the people were still waiting, waiting for peace, waiting for freedom, waiting for God to do the thing that God said, waiting for God to act. How do you keep hoping when it seems it might never come? I think hope and waiting just have this intimate relationship. Hope inherently means that we are holding an expectation that a certain thing would come, that something would be realized, and it means that that thing hasn't happened. And I think, as as I've sat with this and I've thought about hope, I think it comes from our longings and desires. And sometimes, in church, when we talk about longing and desire, we talk about it like it's this broken thing, like it can't 
inherently can't be trusted. And yet, and where some of that is true, I don't know, I feel like the core of it is good. It's good to long for justice and restoration in the world. And it's good to want community or a partner or a family. It's good to hope for direction in your life, to want your time to be used in valuable ways that produce good things in the world. It's good to long for healing and for health. It's all good and so very reasonable, right? Those are very reasonable things to long for and to hope for. And I think the thing about longing desire is that that's actually the birthplace of hope. That's where it starts. Because when you think about it, like when we name the things that we want and long for, whether it's individually or collectively, it creates this expectation or this possibility that it could happen that it might come to us, that it could be fulfilled, which is why hope is so vulnerable. It's not just this flippant thing if it doesn't come. I've had my own journey with longing and desire and consequently hope, as have you. And man, when hope comes, there is nothing else like it. When our longings and desires are met in creative and beautiful ways, it feels like God has heard us, that God has seen us, that God is good, and that he did have a plan. He actually did. The sun maybe shines brighter, the air a little cleaner. We're like kinder to people. Hope has come. The ache of longing is met with joy, and the heaviness of waiting is a little bit lighter because it was worth it, and because we have the gift of hindsight. I think about those times in my life where hope let me hold it for a minute. When I started working here, when I got my first boyfriend, anyone else? Just kidding. (laughs) When my mom healed okay from her heart attack, when I've had moments where the divine broke in and met me in a way that I needed, and I've seen it in my friends and in my family, I've seen it in this community, these moments where it feels like all of a sudden we're in step with the heart of God. But hope has an edge to it too because it doesn't always land in our favor. And I want to talk this morning a little bit about the cycle of hope when you're waiting, when your longings or the things that you hope for something doesn't actually come through. You take the risk, you do the work, you pray, you show up, You trust, you fight, you maybe even feel like you are heeding the voice of God. You petition, you remind God, God, you are faithful. Sometimes he needs it. (laughs) 
You maybe even shift your expectations. It could come in a different way, God. And yet it still falls. Sometimes it's a big drop. Much too big for you to not feel it. A disorienting one. One that you maybe hold in your body. But... If the fall doesn't kill the longing and desire, you do it again. And maybe this time, you're a little bit more guarded. Careful to not let yourself get too excited. Maybe a little fearful. Hesitant to give yourself fully to hope because hope has let you down before. And when you're here, when that cycle has played out one too many times, hope can maybe feel like a cruel joke or a dangled carrot or a foolish choice to let yourself go there again. And the cycle plays and we wait. We wait for the outcome to line up with our work and the things that we want. And we grieve when it doesn't. We hope that we aren't working and pursuing for what we hope for in vain. And man, we really want to listen if we are. We really want to open ourselves up to different possibilities. And we do it again. The cycle. We recently hosted a woman, Austin Channing Brown, a couple weeks ago, and she wrote this book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And she talks about hope in the context of race in America. And the way she talks about hope, she just nailed it for me. Austin talks about her uh, living so many deaths of hope, being let down by hope so many times, that she lives in the shadow of hope. She clings to the shadow of hope. And it made me think of Psalm 17 when David talks about hiding in the shadow of God's wings. And and if you maybe just think about the image and what a shadow is, even if we just use a bird in our mind's eye, that what a shadow is, is it's the light hiding behind the real object And the shadow is the projection of the real thing. And sometimes when you're in that cycle, when it hurts, you can only hold on to the shadow of it. It made me think of the Israelites, those who were given this promise for the fulfillment of peace, and that generations lived in the shadow of it, held the promise for someone else to experience it, held the hope of what could be, but never saw it come to fruition. And I think of people of color in our nation who for generations have held on to the shadow of hope as systems of injustice continue to play on in different forms. And I think about the people at the border and war and famine and poverty, and I think about people in this room and the death and the loss, and the cancer, and the grieving, 
and the infertility and the unhealed traumas and the unfulfilled dreams and all of those things, friends, we all live in the shadow of hope sometimes, some more than others. And on a bad day, it feels like when the gospel writers declared that salvation has come and that peace is fulfilled, that maybe they just said it a little prematurely because surely they didn't know that it would keep going like this. And yet, here we are in this room this morning together, maybe holding on to the real thing, the hope of this story, or maybe the shadow of it. The story where God, after generations of silence and shadows of hope, showed up like the real thing, where God met the desire and the longing of the people, where God inaugurated a kingdom that broke through into real life, bringing peace and joy and forgiveness and redemption and abundance and hope, where hope broke through. In light of our most recent series of hearing the stories of of people in our community, and even being on my own journey of what it means to be a person that's white, that's a part of the dominant culture, how do I be honest with the narratives that I come from and how those narratives have harmed people, and what's my responsibility in undoing it? What's my work? And it's been a thing in me for a long time, um, but I'm, I'm feeling different invitations in my life, and this past uh, end of summer, um, it was a particularly heavy day, around this, and I, I went with some friends to Powderhorn Porch Fest. Anyone? Nope. <laughs> uh, Powderhorn is a neighborhood in South Minneapolis, and for the last couple of years, they like, I don't know, block off two city blocks, and there are some food trucks, and then people open their porches for musicians to play. It's a great time. Um, but there was a woman, Mayada, she's a local singer-songwriter and really phenomenal, and she has this song um, called Black Girl Magic. And it's this song of celebration and proclamation of what it means to be embodied and what it means to celebrate being a black woman. And it was beautiful and it was fun, but the thing that got me was watching all of the kids dance to see little girls see someone that looked like them and heard a celebration of themselves. But the thing that got me the most was there was this little, like maybe three-year-old boy, blonde hair, blue eyes, and he was just getting it. He was, we call it the baby dance. It's like the... <laughs> it was really cute. But for me to like watch him... For this little boy, hearing a celebration of being an embodied black woman, like that's normal for him. And who knows what his journey will be, and yet he has a context for it. And it made me see that, man, maybe I work for the future. Maybe whatever my life will produce in this, 
won't make any difference for me, but what about the future? And it gave me this long view of hope. In this season of Advent, no matter what amount of ourselves we can bring to the story where God came, it's a season where we remember just that, that God came and that God will come again, and that he comes every day, even in our hesitation, even in our skepticism to trust. He comes, and we hope. The text tells the people to return to their fortress, and it calls them prisoners of hope, because that's sort of what we are. It's a hard thing to shake your longing and desire. And that hope, even though it can feel mean sometimes, it's actually fuel. It's actually the thing that gets us up in the morning. A belief that something could change because we saw it happen once. And a protest from the belief that it all ends in death because we saw something come alive again. Because there's a story, a God, a fortress that we can return to and that we remember that God came and God will come again. And sometimes it takes a whole lot of muscle to keep showing up and to keep doing the work and to keep our longing and desire close so that it can give birth to hope, so that it can fuel us. Even when you get responses that you don't expect. And in closing this morning, I wanted to talk to the people in the room where hope is hard and where you're in that cycle. For those of you not in that cycle, you can listen. Sometimes that invitation to remember is almost painful. Because like if you came and you did something once, why won't you do it again? For my not unreasonable hope. And so to you, I want to remind you something. That if the invitation to remember feels too heavy, I want to remind you about God. That you are not forgotten. And that actually, Zechariah, the passage that we're in, Zechariah's name means that God has remembered. So a reminder to you that you are remembered. As we transition into a time of response, I'd like to invite the band up. Um, We're going to have a moment of silence. And in that moment... Um, Well, maybe I'll say, after that, there will be a time of response and permission to stay seated, to stand, to use the kneelers. There's a prayer space available, and you can use that. But in these next few moments of silence, I'd like to maybe invite you to ask the question, what are you longing for? What are you hoping for? 
pray with me. God, as we gather this morning, would you remind us that you are faithful and that we are remembered? God, would you act and work for my friends this morning? Would you be as good as you say you are? as faithful as you say. And I ask in these next few moments of silence that you would meet us. In your name we pray. Amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter by Awakening Community. See you next time.